and welcome to the fifth episode of Unframed. In this episode, I chat to Alexander Richards and Sisipong Godwana. The duo have curated an exhibition at Stevenson Gallery in both Johannesburg and Cape Town called Both And, which marks 15 years of the existence of Stevenson, as well as their addition to the collective of directors at the gallery. In this episode, we talk about their new positions and how they got to where they are, the exhibition that they've curated, which is both at the Cape Town and Joburg galleries and is on until the 24th of August, so you must definitely check it out. We speak about what it means to be represented by the gallery as an artist. We also talk about Alex's famous artist parents, Penny Siopas and Colin Richards, and how they influenced him to get to where he is today. We also chat about Sisipo's own art practice and the work she does with her collective. Enjoy this episode and don't forget to go see the show. Welcome to Alex and Sisipo. Uh, we are sitting in Stevenson Gallery in Johannesburg in their latest exhibition, Both And, which is a large group exhibition spread across two cities in Joburg and Cape Town. And the show has been curated by Alex and Sisipo. So if I can just start by asking you to introduce yourselves to our listeners, who is Sisipo Ngudwana and who is Alex Richards? Okay. Um, hello. Uh, I'm Alex. Alex Richards was born in Johannesburg, uh, lived in Johannesburg, studied at Wits, and now lives in Cape Town. Um, so obviously being in this industry, I'm interested in art and any kind of image making, but I'm also really interested in sports like football and rugby, um, which I guess sometimes people think is on, in, incongruent with the, the art world, but I don't think so. I think there's parallels. Um, and I studied, as I say, I studied art at Wits and um, was also privileged enough to have both my parents as artists and in the art world. So I think I experienced um, that world at an early age and have become accustomed to how it works, I think. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Hi, um, I'm Cecilia Pongodana, and I was born in Cape Town, grew up in Cape Town, studied at Michaelis. I started working at Stevenson when I was um, as an intern while I was doing my fourth year. And after that, I started working full time. Yeah, and I'm also a practicing artist and also part of a collective of 11 black women called Ikuya. And I also write fiction, and I try and sing, and I dance, and I do lots of other things. Thank you. Um, you have both just become directors at Stevenson Gallery. Congratulations. Thank you. So Stevenson's jointly owned by a collective of 11 directors. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What is the decision behind having a collective of directors as opposed to having a primary one or two directors in a gallery, which is, I would imagine, the conventional model? Sure. So um, <clears throat> I think uh, what makes, as you say, Stevenson interesting is that there are a, a large, I guess, a large number of directors, I think 11 or 10 to be exact. Um, and I think what that allows is for a kind of a space where various opinions are aired or voiced and the it allows for us not to kind of simply follow just one person's thoughts or one person's orders. Every Not every decision, but a lot of kind of fundamental decisions are hashed out through long conversations and discussions. Um, and I think the beauty is the, the variety of people in the directorship um, allow for those very de decisions to happen kind of naturally. So myself and Sisipo are close in age, but we're still kind of 
I'm from different backgrounds and um, I guess some of my colleagues are a bit older than us and are more experienced, but they kind of allow us the, the platform to speak our kind of minds. I think that's what makes it interesting as opposed to one big boss who kind of, who, who makes a decision and it trickles down to the rest of us. I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I agree with Alex and I think it just allows for more voices to be heard within one space. And it also means that with the age difference, um, more people experience either in writing, more people experience either in making exhibitions or working with artists. It just means that, you know, the space can allow for various, um, diverse perspectives. Two questions related to that. Firstly, is it not ever a case of too many cooks in the kitchen? And secondly, do you feel that being younger than the majority of the directors that you are bringing something younger and fresh to the gallery, what are you contributing to the gallery based on your context and your generation? Um, well, firstly, I don't think that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because I've got experience working with um, 11 other black women. I think it's also about learning to, it's, it's learning to work with people. And I think the biggest part of that is learning to coexist with people um, because we live in a community where we live with like, I don't know, it's one million people. And I think most of the conflict comes with people trying to, you know, to either control the conversations or to control how people live their lives. So I think one of the biggest things that I've learned with the collective and with um, being part of the gallery, it's, yeah, it's basically just learning to live with people. It's learning to, to coexist with people. So it's, I never feel like there are too many people making decisions and we never really all have to agree. And I think we all respect that. We, I don't know, like if someone is pitching a project, you know, not everyone is going to agree because we don't all see things the same way, but at least, you know, four, five people out of the 11 will agree or four or five people will might not see it, but will be willing to give it, um, to give you the chance to do the project and see where it goes. So does it work as a majority vote? Not really. It just, it works. Um, I think also if you're passionate about your project and you want to see it through, it doesn't matter if no one agrees with you and you will just have to do it yourself. And then maybe after that or two years down the line, someone will be like, actually, you know, you were right about that thing. And then, you know, you just have to be passionate about your own ideas. And I think people will support you even though they don't agree with you. Mm. Yeah. I think that's very true. It's never really like, okay, now we're going to take votes, put them in the ballot box. Someone's going to read the verdict. It's not really like that. I think it's more fluid, as Sipo says. And I think that it just allows for if you have a serious view or an opinion you can voice it that's kind of heard and then I guess as CC says it's like up to you the person who's driving the initiative to really drive it and to really almost get everyone to believe and that normally happens so that's I think how it works yeah do you ever feel intimidated by being younger than the majority of the directors and their vast experience do you ever feel that you can't speak up I I've never felt intimidated within the collective of directors um, I think some of my like insecurities as a director just comes with, I don't know, or I'm just, I just feel a bit insecure about the project or something. Yeah. I think also because, you know, you, I didn't start as an associate director. Um, I started as an intern and, you know, I, I, I learned most of the things about the institution while I was still an intern and while I was younger. So. I, I, I kind of had a relationship with them before I was a director. So by the time I was allowed, well, not that I was allowed, but the time that I was expected to bring like ideas onto the table, I was, I was kind of used to it in a way. And I had the relationship with, um, most, if not some of the directors. 
Yeah, I think the intimidation question is kind of interesting, and I think I agree with Cece in a way that that, that intimidation would probably come from an internal space of just a lack of confidence maybe in some moments, which I think everyone kind of goes through. I don't necessarily feel like it's in that moment of a like a hectic board meeting where there's like a big round table and there's like people in this and people are taking minutes and it's it's, it's not like that. It's far more informal and far more kind of uh, relaxed, and I think that's what helps with the intimidation kind of element. I also think like sometimes you as a as a younger person. You, you're quite confident in some in some strange ways. I guess that's youth in a, in a sense. You just kind of are doing it and you're in it and you have to do it. And I think that's true of most kind of jobs at many levels. If you are if you just throw yourself into it and have the confidence in your own vision or meaning, then I think uh, you'll probably be okay. Yeah, and I think also just the structure of the gallery. Um, it pushes people to do things within their own capacity. Whether if you I don't know if you're into writing that you should still write or you should. Find find space for your writing within the gallery but so yeah it's a space that kind of encourages um, different perspectives and different yeah. projects within the I th space I think yeah. that's a really good point I think that um, generally it's not a job where it's like these are going to be your parameters and you can't move from there or to another thing uh, it's it's essentially what you like doing you're obviously attracted to and you move towards but what I love about the job and is, is essentially that there's not one line of work that you do, so you're not only curating, you are also in sales, I guess, you are also in thinking about what shows would be next in dealing with artists. It's a varied kind of job, and I think that's what makes it really interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a very generous and generative space to be in. So when did you both become directors, and what is the process of becoming a director? <laughs> Well, maybe you should ask the other directors that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I mean, I I actually only started at Stevenson in April of last year, which is 2017. I had had experience uh, at an auction house, which is a very different world, a different, um, total different world, but obviously still involved with art. Um, but I think what drew me towards the job was the dealing with contemporary art. And I think that's where my passion lies. Um, so I was at Stevenson as an associate and... Um, um, I worked as hard as I could and uh, the kind of opportunity arose along with Sisipo who had been there before me and kind of knows the ropes a little bit better than I do because she's been there. But it was just a, it does, as we kind of describing how those other meetings are, it was in a similar kind of relaxed fashion where um, the idea was put to us about how we would feel about joining the team a bit more kind of solidly, I guess, or in a different position. Um, and I was um, excited to accept that challenge and um, see where that takes me for the next few years. So I think what's funny is that actually it was, um, I think it was Michael who told us, and he told us, um, I don't know, in December or November last year, and we were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's exciting. And we didn't really do or say anything about it until the following year in February. And we, we officially like accepted the proposal. Yeah. So I don't really know what, I mean, I guess you also just have to work as hard as you can and you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And yeah. And I think also having a multifarious way of working between, like Alex was saying, between sales and between doing projects and working with artists, because I think that's very important. You, you really need to be passionate about the artists that we work with and the, the art that they produce. And I think that's probably one of the most important, if not the most important um, aspect of doing what we do. So the exhibition Both And celebrates 15 years of Stevenson. 
Tell me more about this exhibition that you've curated, the, the concept and what you were trying to achieve through the works that you've shown. So the exhibition basically it looks at the history of the gallery through its publications and how it's kind of navigated the paradox inherent um, within the contemporary art world and how it's navigated, you know, being between being an art historical um, institution and being a commercial enterprise, yeah. trying to navigate between, you know, creating art discourse and, and like selling art. So, the, yeah, the exhibition was looking at that. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it was an interesting task, I guess, for us because we haven't been there for the whole 15 yeah. years. So it's like, um, I guess it's a bit like someone... Yeah, telling a life story that you haven't really witnessed in some ways, which I think is doable. It's happened many times. But um I think that it was an interesting task for us to kind of look through the history of the gallery, decipher what moments were happening in the South African art world at the time. I mean, when the gallery started in 2003, the kind of the moment is maybe very different to what it is now, 15 years later. And I guess we're just interested in how Stevenson has been able to shape that that world, obviously through the publications, as Sisipo says, and I think publications are important. They make it easier for us when you're tracing the history because <laughs> you can just look through the books, I guess. Um, but, you know, I also think it's important to mention the website. In a sense, that's an archive that's that's really efficient. So you can go through and look at articles or website um, pages from the early 2000s when the gallery started. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting space to be in, to be looking back in a, in a kind of in a time when I would have been, I don't know, in 2003, something like 12, I'm not sure, maybe, <laughs> maybe even, yeah, about 12, um, and had a kind of sense of the South African art world, but not, not this deep moment where the, uh, the rest of our directors were literally in it and creating it. And I think that's what's really interesting is that we are tasked as the two newest and the two youngest, I guess, to, to look back and see where we were and also to kind of give some sense of how we are going to be shifting in the next 15 years. Yeah. As Sisipo says, I think that it's also about kind of the community, the art world community and who is, who we've worked with. Many, many people have been supportive of the 15 years and it's also a moment of, of kind of gratitude first and foremost to the artists and uh, the team the whole gallery team I mean we've got a large staff and lots of changes have happened um, before now after and I think that it's just an ode to all those people and all those moments yeah I just want to pick up on something you said Sisipo in your in the exhibition statement you wrote a question that has been pivotal throughout the year is how can we be both committed to art history and fully engaged with the market? What are some of your answers to that question? <laughs> <sighs> well, I think in terms of like art historical discourse, like, like Alex was saying, the publications are very important and also keeping an updated um, website so that people who are not necessarily in the country or not based in Cape Town or Joburg can access those archives. And I think like, for instance, you know, some of our artists have many other publications that were not produced by the gallery, but the gallery might have helped in making some of the selections that selections of work that ended up in the catalog. Some projects that the gallery did earlier in its life where it was looking at, for instance, artists who are not necessarily based in the country, but whose work are kind of central to Africa as a continent, as, you know, in its diverse ways of being or existing. Like those kinds of conversations are conversations that we're having, not necessarily within the arts industry, but also in the country and how we've kind of defined or tried to kind of mend the country post-apartheid. So yeah, I think in terms 
terms of art, creating art history, it's those, the publications and some of the projects that we've done are kind of like defining ways of that um, part of it. And in terms of being a commercial enterprise, I think <laughs> maybe Alex can answer yeah. that. That is from an I think house. I think that yeah. I mean, there's this ongoing joke that Sisipo is from Itlia, and uh, that's like a female collective of contemporary artists, and I'm from an auction house. So I must talk. I must deal with money, and Sisi <laughs> must deal with art. But the reality is, we do kind of uh, yeah. obviously interweave those worlds. Um, I think it's important in, or I think the connection is quite clear in, in a few ways. I think, uh, let's say the work that we did with Ernest Mangloba, um, and we, we showed a work, uh, an exhibition with, with a few works of his, and then past that, we created the catalog. And it was really a moment where South Africans were able to see a, a fair amount of his work, not for the first time, but in a space that's not usually made for that. In the same vein, we could essentially sell the works possibly on consignment. And I think that that's the way, I think, to engage market is to first and foremost bring it to people to see it and then to possibly create some sort of publication so that they can see it later and people who weren't there and there can be some kind of catalog text that discusses some of the issues and then at the same time be able to sell it and then develop the artist's market um, locally and internationally. I think that's really important. I think if we look at an artist like Meshach Gaba, he's really important in this, this question that we're asking about art history and commerce because his work talks directly to that. Yeah. So um, when the gallery first kind of started in 2003, it was from a, a visit to Documenta in 2002, I think. Mm. Um, where our two of the founding members, Andrew and Michael, saw Meshach's work, which I think was uh, Gaba's work, which I think was from his is it, of contemporary yeah, African, African art, art yeah. which is kind of foregrounds all these new museums that are that are now popping up. And I think that I think that's why he's interesting as an artist in terms of that question. Even on this show, we have a, a work of uh, called Zimbabwean Survival, I think, which is a few birds that are you would probably buy from curio shops and. Uh, the artist obviously changes the context of those birds, making them, I guess, art in a weird way. You know, there's this silly debate about art versus craft, which we obviously don't want to get into, but he brings the birds into this context and then he puts a bread basket or a money basket with money in it, kind of linking to the idea of Zimbabwe as the bread basket of the area. And I think quite directly, in a way, speaks to how art history and commerce can all kind of intertwine in one. And then that work is for sale. So it's like a dual kind of, it's a, it's a layered, layered response to that question. And also like artists like Francis Elise, whom who were happy that he agreed to be part of the exhibition, whose work um, talks about, you know, the value of art and how art is commercialized and how his practice is basically about taking or questioning that value more than, more than anything. Like for instance, um, for the Joburg part of the show, he proposed to show um, the art of working and the work of art. It's basically more of a process in an artwork because he um, makes origami um, figures of money. Um, so for instance, if you were to make an origami figure of 100 rand, you'd basically sell that figure for 100 rand. It's basically more of an exchange rather than buying something because what exactly are you buying? Mm. And I guess also it, it allows us to question like for instance, you know, performance art or like, you know, when you're buying a painting, like what are you buying? Like what defines the value of, you know, a painting that's sold for 180,000 rands versus 
is a painting that sold for 2.2 billion rands, mm-hmm. you know, what, where is that value? So yeah, so I think um, we might not necessarily have the answers, but I think um, we kind of, the, the artists that we selected for the, for the show or the artists that we asked to participate in the show were artists who already have those questions, already asking those questions. So we hope that, you know, in engaging with their work, you might have a glimpse of what, yeah, yeah. So you spoke about the artists you've included on the show. Have you included all the artists that you represent on the show? And what component of the artists that you represent are from South Africa, Africa, or the rest of the world? And why is it important to show artists from countries outside of South Africa? To answer it, yeah, we, every every artist who we now at this moment represent is shown on the in the exhibition or is a part of the exhibition. Um, but this also includes artists who we have worked with in the past, who were part of our stable, who necessarily aren't anymore. Um, and I think that's uh, kind of positive in a way for the show that we are showing artists who who have since kind of moved on from the gallery. And I think that that just is a truer sense of what the history of the gallery is. If we had to pick only only artists who we work with now and only artists who we want to work with and only superstar international artists, then I think it would uh, maybe be a, be a boring show and a bit of a kind of whitewash of, of history, I guess, in a way, and a cleaning up of what was coming before. So I think Cece could answer probably <laughs> where artists come from and kind of the, the reasoning behind that. So, so in, in our artist list, some of them are not um, from South Africa, but I think their work is kind of central to our region. And I think that's very important. Um, so for instance, Odili, who was not born in South Africa, was born in Nigeria, but um, lo- migrated to the U.S. very early in his life. Um, but his work is kind of like central and important um, within our society. And Milagum Mokhosi, who was born in Botswana, who also lives and lectures in the U.S., um, his work is also not necessarily explicit to South Africa, but the conversations that come up within his practice are kind of central within um, within our society. So yeah, and I think also I think for his next um, solo exhibition is kind of influenced by um, how South Africa has kind of like maintained this idea of a democracy. So yeah, and um, there's quite a lot of others, but I think that's kind of always important. If it's like not if it's not a South African artist, their work has to be has like to impo- ring true yeah, somehow in, to, in our context. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think the split is quite good in a way. There's obviously, I mean, we're in South Africa. Yeah. We're in Germany. I mean, there's, there's Cape 20 Town. artists who are from South Africa out of what, 30 something? 30s, yeah. yeah. So there are, but there are quite a few, as you say, Bartelemi Togu, Mishak Gaba, living in kind of, well, that's the interesting thing. I think what makes, what's, what's really important is that it doesn't necessarily matter where you are. It does matter where you're living, but like the world is getting, is smaller in a sense. So, so an artist who was born in Cameroon and you, associate him completely with Cameroonian stuff could be living in Paris could Mosheko Lange could be living in Paris Amsterdam Johannesburg and I think what's important about that is it connects to kind of our program on a whole um, the Forex program which is directly a foreign exchange kind of wanted to do that wanted to create exchange between uh, different countries within Africa but also the world on the show, we have a few international artists too. And what's interesting, I think, is that they are returning to the gallery. So we showed a few of them earlier in, in the kind of uh, few years ago. So Jideka, Kunile Crosby, a few others who have shown with us before on exhibitions that kind of highlight people from the outside, I guess, if that's a thing. And now they're being shown again as a kind of, uh, to remember that moment, but also to kind of celebrate where they are at the moment. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just think that it's it's important that, you know, the artists aren't necessarily from one part of the world because, you know, the conversations that we're having are across, you know, borders and boundaries. So I think it's that is also another way of acknowledging that, that we're not like living on an island where we're experiencing things that are completely different from the world. Some of the things that we experience are almost the same as, I don't know, like in Cameroon, Ghana or Nigeria. So I think it's also a way of like creating a community within the continent, but also internationally as well. Well, yeah. I noticed that you have a work by David Goldblatt in Stevenson, Cape Town. I wasn't aware that he had ever worked with the gallery and I was wondering whether it was a gesture of memorial um, on his recent passing. No, I don't think we foresee that, but more importantly, he has worked with the gallery before. So um, in 2008, I think it was, um, he had a show, Intersections Intersected. I know that uh, Michael Stevenson worked uh, very closely with him as, as well as the other staff. So I think it was a, a moment of kind of remembering that relationship. It's a pairing of three works. I think the reason we chose them, or I guess we wanted them in the show, wasn't only to remember the relationship with David, was more that um, the work spoke to a kind of changing uh, passing of time, which I guess is a, is a theme throughout the exhibition. If you think of 15 years or any birthday or any celebration, there's a kind of remembrance of what's happened before and how things have changed like if I look at a photo of me when I'm 15 I'm sure I'd be quite shocked um, in the same way that kind of these David Goldblatt in a more serious way obviously um, works which are pairings of a, of a black and white image taken kind of during apartheid and possibly a color image that's larger after apartheid or kind of post apartheid or at least a marker of how things have changed or how they haven't, in a sense, how much has changed or how little has changed. And I think that that's kind of important to the exhibition um, as a whole. And then I guess after his death, it allows for people to see his work um, and kind of sit with it and think about it. In the space in Cape Town, we have got, as I said, three pairings. But what's important is that next to the works are a, a library of kind of all of our books but also books that we have kind of been involved with with David Goldblatt's work but also his own books that we've had no kind of involvement with and I think it's just an opportunity for a viewer to look at the works quietly and to sit at the at this kind of lounge table and and think about read books think about the books think about life think about all of that stuff and I think importantly curatorially we put him right next to Moholi Zanele Moholi which I think was important for us because in the same in the same way, uh, some of her works, like let's say Faces and Phases, where she revisits sitters for portraits years afterwards, and how they've changed, and how sometimes they have had terrible kind of things happen to them. Um, I think that's an interesting connection to David Goldblatt's work in that way, and the fact that he mentored her, and she still Moholi still sees him or s saw him as a kind of a large influence or figure in their life. I think that that was important for us. Which artists have you started working with in the last year that you're really excited about? <laughs> I mean, we haven't officially started working with any of them in the last year, but I think we should stay tuned for the next year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we should stay tuned for the next year. I do think the one artist that comes to mind who's had a show recently just before this exhibition in, in, in Cape Town was Dada Kanisa. And um, we're really excited by their work. It's a, could have worked on, I, there is a work of theirs on the show, but I think it, it even works with the kind of stuff we were talking about earlier about David Goblet and Mahali and this tracing of time because their work in some ways looks like it's influenced by the modern black painters like Sokoto or Pemba, but then also has has this really fresh feel um, and I think that's really interesting so Dada is, is one artist who we're very excited with and there are a few others that I think Sisipo is um, 
<laughs> is just being cautious with um, when we kind of release that information. I think it will be on our website shortly. I also think that, I mean, uh, with the artists that we work with, the most important part of it is having like a relationship with the artist. Mm. So, I mean, we have some artists that we do have a relationship with that we don't necessarily represent or whose name is not on our website. Mm. So I think for us, at least, the website is kind of like, it's important, but it's not really the defining exactly. aspect of the relationship. Can I just ask a little bit more about artist representation? What does it mean to be represented by your gallery? What is the definition? What are the criteria? What is the agreement for representation? I think that what representation with our gallery would mean for an artist is just complete commitment from our side would be number one, complete kind of uh, engagement with their work and them as a person, I think fundamentally and foremost. Um, if we get to the kind of nitty gritty, I don't believe we have a contract system. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have kind of agreements and I think they are as loose in some ways as possible to kind of protect the artist, I think, first and foremost, I guess, protect us at the same time. But I think that what's important is that when we enter a relationship with an artist, that it's got to be kind of understanding and happiness from both sides. It's very difficult for us to talk about exact specifics in this kind of context, because obviously a lot of the stuff is also confidential, you know, um, artists with gallery relationships. But I think that, as I said, yeah, the, the most important thing is a kind of commitment on both sides. I don't know. I feel like representation is like the last part of it because, for instance, we've got projects like, you know, the Forex pro um, program where we brought um, artists from who are international artists to, to, to have either solo exhibitions or be part of group exhibitions with the gallery. And that didn't necessarily mean that they're going to be represented by the gallery. And we also have, we've done projects with m more younger artists who, for instance, with the Ramp project and some of the projects that are happening at the Joburg Gallery. So there are various ways in which we kind of have relationships with them, but doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be represented. So yeah, I think it's more of a process rather than, you know, something that you either apply for or something that just happens organically. It happens like over time. Yeah, I mean, I think that as CC says, it doesn't have to, representation is not the be all and end all. But that being said, like we still have these names on the website and what that means, I guess what it means for them is support, wholehearted support from our side. And probably we would hope that it's kind of mutual. And it's also important not to rush it because I think like, you know, for instance, some artists, especially younger artists who kind of who want that. But also I think it's important that, you know, being represented by a gallery is central to your art practice. You know, for instance, if you're like a predominantly a performance artist, like wanting to be represented by a gallery does might not really make sense. Whether you choose to be represented by a gallery or we choose to initiate that representation, I think it has to be true to the practice first because sometimes it doesn't make sense to just like do a projects within like a wide cube space sometimes you know you have to do it over a bridge or it has to be public and yeah so we also look at those kinds of things if it would actually make sense to have the work exhibited in the gallery. Alex you spoke about support but do artists receive artists that you represent receive stipends for art production? I think <laughs> I know I'm putting put on the spot but actually Sisipo is far better positioned to answer that as being in kind of uh, production herself. Um, it depends. So, for instance, like with the ramp project or where the artist is not represented by the gallery, the gallery will cover, for instance, shipping costs or, you know, we will give an advance for production fee. 
but you know it it often depends on on the artist as well so because sometimes they don't really need it and sometimes they want to be independent and do their own projects yeah i think that's important i think it's probably an artist to artist project to project kind of basis i think that it's also important to not I would imagine it's important to not allow artists to get into severe kind of debt with anyone. I mean, I think with the gallery especially. Um, and I think it's important that there's this balance between our money or the gallery's money, the artist's money, the artist's passion, our passion. I think that all kind of connects and hopefully on a case-by-case basis, those decisions are made. Alex, you mentioned this earlier, but you are the son of two very famous South African artists and academics. Penny Siopis and Colin Richards. They were both at WITS when I was there doing my undergraduate degree. So I'm very, very lucky to have engaged with both of them. Actually, Colin was my supervisor, I guess, for my undergrad paper. And yeah, I was very lucky to have a really close engagement with him. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up with parents that were artists and so engaged in the industry? Was there really ever any chance that you wouldn't land up in the industry? Yeah, as you say, they're kind of both really amazing people, then artists, then critics, then writers, then whatever, curators, uh, lots of boxes. Um, I think that for me, it was just, and I think this is true of any really good parents, is that they make you believe that you could do anything, um, especially in a kind of creative sense. I remember growing up basically at Fitz University in the holidays when other friends of mine were doing nice things. I was watching Disney movies and like drawing nonstop um, in like cold vits, as we all know, Brahms, like freezing. It was a real kind of honor and a privilege growing up with people who um, were very open to my own voice and my opinion. And I think that this like funny kind of anecdotes that like I had Constant, I remember actually saying this, even probably when I was like in my teens even, which is very interesting. But um, I used to say that both my parents are artists. My dad is really good and my mom is famous and I'm not sure why. Um, just I think that's a kind of indication of how... Some people, especially when you're younger, you see realism or naturalism. My father was quite a naturalistic or realistic kind of watercolor painter. My mom was lots of different styles, but I think that uh, could move even to abstraction now. Um, and I think that it just shows kind of your opinion as a child that realism is king or the best and how that kind of shapes or shifts later in your life and how you start realizing that sometimes it's easier to do a realistic thing and harder to do something that is more... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I'm not sure how to end that kind of <laughs> sentence, but yeah, it, it it taught me a lot. Kind of being with them, um, I avoided my mom adversity, not on purpose, but it was just better. I didn't, um, and I got taught by my. I was taught by my dad, and I think third year, and that was quite a harrowing experience. I'm sure as most people who have been taught by him can can account for, but also really rewarding. Um, so I think there was no real chance of me getting out of it. I could have chosen and maybe architecture but then I would have had to study for many years more and I think that kind of threw me um, so yeah it's it's amazing to kind of have landed up in a space that understands where I come from um, and understands the world that I've been living in obviously I, there wasn't a consciousness like I have now of that world but being in the same gallery that my mother is part of um, is actually really cool I'd love to say that it's awkward and weird and but it's not it's amazing um, thankfully we have different surnames so uh, we can't get connected too much but yeah um it just made me think of something colin said in my fourth year art criticism course he with his very like earnest presence said 
look around the room, like out of maybe 30 people, only two of you are going to be artists. Wow. <laughs> Crushing dreams. Anyway, a little anecdote from my side. But uh, basically, that actually leads me to my next question is you studied fine art. Do you still make work? And what was the shift for you into a more curatorial auction house, kind of more sales orientated career in the arts as opposed to being a practicing artist? That's a really interesting question. And I think that after I answer, I think Cece should answer because she's also still a practicing artist. And I think that balance is really, really amazing. This is, I don't want to be too negative, but I'd seen the kind of artistic struggle firsthand my whole life growing up. And I kind of came to a realization a few years ago that if, yeah, as you say, I studied art and I really enjoyed making art. I was always kind of based in a conceptual kind of framework. So I was never paint, I was never a painter. I was never a sculptor. And maybe that's why it was easier for me to withdraw from that. Cause I still feel like I make the ideas. I just don't make them. Um, I have them. I just don't make them necessarily. I think that, um, it, yeah, as I say, I came to this realization that being an artist was a real struggle. And if you weren't a hundred percent sure that that was who you were going to be, then maybe you could be in the world of art and around art and help people who are artists do their thing. It was important to me, for me to realize that I didn't have this. I think that there's this hunger in an artist. I could be wrong. I'm generalizing, but from what I've seen, there's a real hunger in an artist to make something. And, um, for that, not even for that thing to be seen, but for it to be made and then maybe to be seen, but it's to be made. It's that process of releasing something. And I never really felt like I had that need. So I think that's what led me away from actual the actual making. Um, a few of my friends still think that I will have a resurgence as an artist later in life. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I have ideas every day, but I think that's the beauty of being in a job like at Stevenson, where your kind of ideas are valued and your creative kind of thoughts can be as strong as artworks in a way. Sissy, for you also studied fine art at Michaela's, yes. and you are part of the collective you spoke about earlier. I saw that the collective was included in Documenta 14 last year, which I think is an incredible achievement. So from from there, how did you find yourself as the director of Stevenson? Can you just talk a little bit more about your practice as an artist, as part of the collective, and how you got to where you are now? So I know I've said I'm an artist, but I think I'm more comfortable calling myself a creative. And similarly, because I think that our vocabulary, we've kind of grown accustomed to to how we define art and sometimes it doesn't account for the various ways in which people can be creatives and be artists and I think for instance like people like Paolo Nazareth and um, Francis Elise who kind of make art outside of the the norm I think that I'm more excited about you know art doesn't have to be an object it sometimes can be an experience sometimes it can be an exchange sometimes it can just be an idea and I think that's also important and I think it's important that in the spaces that we occupy the spaces that we in the spaces that, you know, like the galleries and stuff like that, that we've got space for the art that is not, you know, the painting or the art that is not the, pho- the photograph. And do you have a studio? I had a studio because, um, so I left Varsity um, doing installations, big installations. And I decided to get a studio because I wanted to continue making installations. And in making those installations or in occupying that studio, I realized that I was actually like more interested in writing. Some ideas went from materializing in objects to materializing through text. 
to me, it feels exactly like the same thing, but it's just a different, um, it's just a different object. Like my work is more about um, society and it's about structures and in varsity, I represented those through like physical structures. And I thought it would be actually interesting to kind of talk about structures without necessarily making a structure. And I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. So I write more now and I talk more. (laughs) And you're saving money. I love saving money. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me a little bit about some of the projects that The Collective has done? The Collective has kind of allowed me to think outside the box in a way that, you know, like, what does it mean to be an artist and what does it mean to create art? And also not to to feel pressured by creating an object again. And I think, so the, the Collective has kind of managed or succeeded in that because it doesn't support anyone. It doesn't have to pay school fees. It doesn't have to pay rent. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have all these other responsibilities that the individual person has. So in a way, it can basically just come up with an idea, do it, and, you know, never have to worry about it again. So whereas, you know, the person, you know, you have the family, you've got, you know, the pressures of, um, you know, being a successful artist and you've got the pressure of producing art that you may feel like is expected of you. And, you know, the nice or the, the best thing about the collective is that it hasn't, it doesn't have all those pressures. So, we, I mean, of, of course, we went through challenges as a collective, but also we went through challenges with institutions. The collective has kind of also like gone through some of the things that the individual artist has gone through, whether it's not being happy with an institution or whether it's been taken advantage of by an institution. And in going through that as a collective, like we did not give zero fucks about what people were saying about us. And I realized that there was a, there was a freedom in that. There was a freedom in not feeling like, you know, you had to, you know, produce um, a certain type of art or you had to align yourself with a certain um, art gallery or a certain institution in order to be the successful artist. Like, like we didn't necessarily do it consciously, but it just kind of, it just came with being part of a collective. It was a space where, you know, we could freely talk about our insecurities as individual people, as, as artists, and through that, because it was first a community, it was first a network before it became a collective. And it was a network because we wanted to create a community for 11 black women. Basically, the way that it formed was um, we wanted to have an exhibition on, on campus by explicitly black women because, you know, there was a lack of um, representation of black women artists within art history and within the curriculum that we were taught. So, and, you know, we were having these meetings about where we could have this exhibition, uh, what could this exhibition, um, what are we going to show in this exhibition? And in those conversations, we realized that we actually needed a community. We actually needed a space where we could talk about, you know, the things that we were going through as black women within the institution. So, yeah, that's how we came together. And we, yeah, it was, it was freeing. It was kind of like a therapy session <laughs> where we could talk and, and talk about our struggles and also talk about the kind of things that we were hoping to get out of institutions, whether it was, you know, the art um, school or it was like galleries. And in doing that, we, you know, we came came up with projects that were kind of not expected or not um are not often seen within the industry and i think yeah and obviously because we were just 11 black women there was a power, lots of power in that which i guess um got us into documenta amongst the other pro- amazing projects that we've done um across the country and internationally what are you most looking forward to in the coming year so in the in the very near future, some sleep is uh, what I'm most looking forward to. Um, no, but uh, I think 
I mean, we're, we're generally looking forward to the rest of the gallery program. We've got a solo exhibition by Serge Elena Tegeka in Cape Town. And for me, that's always exciting because Serge manages to change the space really effectively every time. And I think, I think that's why we also employed his work in, in the Joburg leg of this exhibition because he changes the, the entrance space in the gallery and we've, Throughout the exhibition, we've been interested in how you move around space, especially a gallery space. Um, so we've tried to use rooms that aren't normally used for art showing or display. Um, uh, we've obviously got our kind of art fair um, agenda, which is Joburg Art Fair, uh, Paris Photo, Art Basel, Miami, Freeze London. So there's a, a lot that's Art Text Lagos, which, yeah, we're um, really interested in. And I think that it's the, that will keep us busy. Um, I think there are a few other kind of solo exhibitions which are really exciting. But um, something I've learned about the kind of gallery world is that things shift and change all the time. And, I, well, I guess that's the world in general. And um, you can never really too, be too set on something because um, it might change. But as I say, surge next and nine more weeks in Johannesburg, which is an interesting kind of after this 15 year exhibition. It's another kind of revisiting of an idea of the galleries, which was uh, a few years ago with nine artists. It is, yeah, it is called Nine Weeks. It is basically a publication um, with um, Hans Zimmer Mordi Gordon, who interviewed nine of the artists that were represented by the gallery through a period of nine weeks. Um, so nine more weeks <laughs> is basically nine more weeks um, with Sinazo Kriya, who is um, our press um, person. Um, yeah, and they'll basically be interviewing um, nine more artists who's, whom aren't um, necessarily represented by the gallery, but have some kind of relationship with the gallery. So yeah, and I'm also excited for some of the solo exhibitions that we're going to have um, next year by artists that, you know, were included um, in the exhibition, but haven't really had solo exhibitions with us. So I think that's going to be very exciting. And there'll be more other um, young projects that we'll have, um, either in, in Cape Town or Johannesburg, which are definitely going to be exciting. And I'm looking forward to that, yeah. The last question, what keeps you going and what motivates you to do what you're doing? Quite literally in the morning, I think music gets me going. <laughs> um, I, I always sit, like try to bounce back, I guess, every day and that's through music. But I think in terms of the job, what keeps us going or me going is kind of a commitment to our artists, a commitment to what they're trying to say. I think that's really important. One of the kind of points about why I think art is important is what it makes you think or how it makes you think, what kind of, if it makes you think differently about your situation or other situation, I think that's a kind of main point of it so that that would be a reason why I would be uh, continually committed to the kind of the job I guess also just like on a really kind of basic level to see a work of art that you have been a part of you haven't necessarily made it but you've helped facilitate that process to see it finally through um, on a wall or kind of appreciated by people I think that's that's really a, a motivation for me and I think that connects to my idea of not wanting to be an artist but being able to piggyback off a kind of artist feeling of being um, seen or appreciated so yeah that's for me um I think what keeps me going is I don't know in like the most simplest form like people 
Um, I remember I was just having a conversation with Jane Alexander about her installation, um, Frontier with Church, which is in the Cape Town space. And she was basically talking about what the ladder represented. And it was basically a reference um, to the types of ladders that, you know, migrants who tried to cross the border from Morocco into Spain use. You know, some of which lose their lives in the process of migrating and some of which who, who eventually makes it. Speaking to artists and learning more about their art practices is, is basically what's keeping me going at Stevenson. And I think in just learning more about our world and learning more about, you know, some of the experiences that I may have not gone through, but, you know, the next person who I'll just probably walk past in the street and not really pay attention to. So I think, yeah, I think for me, that's the most important part is that, you know, to acknowledge other people, to acknowledge other things that are happening in the world and to find some common ground in, you know, in being able to live in the same society as people from various backgrounds. In general, the what we're excited about with the show is that it traces the last 15 years, but hopefully it allows us some time to realize what the next 15 years might be like and um, what we want to change as an institution or as a gallery um, or what we're kind of thinking about. Because I think that there's, as happy, as amazing as Stevenson is, every institution has an opportunity to get better and to move forward. So that's, I think, what interests us the most. And art is a very important part of our society. Um, art really plays a role in how, you know, we see society and how we can actually reflect on our history and kind of build what we expect or would like from the future. And I think Stevenson is very integral to the South African arts history and I look forward to seeing what you do in the next 15 years. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting cool. us. Yeah. Thanks so much to Alex and Sisipo for joining me for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening today and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Unframed Podcast, as well as to subscribe on iTunes Podcast Library. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye.